You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bowl, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. I don't have to remind you how difficult it can be to raise a child with special needs. However, I'm going to do it anyway. Along with the challenges of maintaining the daily activities we call family, a parent to a child with special needs may also have to advocate and or even fight to ensure their child has the services they need to succeed. Raja Marhaba is one of those parents who not only fought for her children, but also went on to create a foundation focused on helping parents in similar situations. As you will hear today, Raja understands this battle can break families, and her foundation is looking to reduce that breakage. Enjoy the conversation. Raja Marhaba, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm very humbled and appreciate being here. Well, we love to share information about things that are going on in the community, and it's always exciting uh, to listen to the stories of parents, especially like me and many of us, uh, where a parent like you who has gone from advocating for your son or sons in this case and are now doing much more than that, having started the Jonathan Foundation. Can you tell us about that foundation? What's it all about? The Jonathan Foundation was born because of my struggle with a broken special education system. And by the way, it's not just in California, it's on a national level. Um, Mm -hmm. I was trying to get services for both children at very young age and the school system um, was not very collaborative with me. I went through eight eight years of due process for due process for each son, um, put me through hell. I broke my marriage. Um, it, uh, my kids were put on hold mm. for all those years because when you're in due process, until there's resolve and, and settlement agreement of some sort, you don't get services, what you, what they need. Right. So I just got really pissed off at the system and could not believe that, um, school districts, uh, incur parents in astronomical costs because we have to get our own assessments, emotional burden, financial burden. Um, and then the kids are placed on hold. So they're sacrificed until there's resolve. And I don't want another family mm-hmm. to have to go through the emotional and financial burden my family did. And I don't want children to be sacrificed as both my sons were sacrificed. And so I wanted to do something about it. And the Jonathan Foundation was born because of them and because our trials um, through the years. So, yeah, tell me more about what it does then. So I understand your reasoning for it, and I think a lot of people can share those same feelings, the frustrations and things, and the way their children are, as you mentioned, pawns within the whole thing. What is the Jonathan Foundation? How is it going to benefit, or what should people, how should they see it or look to it for help? Um, one of the, the programs that we have right now is the assessment scholarship program. So we raise money to fund uh, psychoeducational assessments and in the areas of social, emotional, behavioral, cognitive, and academic. Um, and we hire the best psychologist credentials um, to give the parents the power and level the ammunition in the IEPs, if you will, mm-hmm. against the school districts because I believe the school district assessments are not very comprehensive and they miss a lot of the pieces of what's happening with the child. So if you get a a comprehensive assessment done by a professional who is independent than the school, then you can bring that information and have the school consider it, the recommendations, the, the diagnosis, because school districts cannot give diagnosis, but an independent psychologist or neuropsych can. 
So they go in with um, power that they didn't have before when they were at the mercy of the school district because they're they're having their children assessed by the school district psychologist. And some of them are seasoned and good and some of them are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because they cannot diagnose, sometimes the families don't understand exactly what's happening with the child. So what I wanted to do is is help the families understand how their child's brain's wired because it's what's happening within the confinements of the brain is only uh, is what unlocks what's going on with the child. And if you don't know how the brain is wired in our trademark, it's how are you wired, then it's really difficult to help the child. And so that's one of the reasons why the assessment scholarship program um, was created. And the other reason is it's so costly when I was going through my due process, I mean, these assessments... Right, we're talking many thousands of dollars for these assessments that you often have to pay up front, right? Yes, and families can't afford that. I could, I'm a middle-class mom. I could not afford that. The school district took me to Ninth Circuit Federal Court. I was in a seven-digit lawsuit. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, it, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it breaks a family. I mean, if you have two people making money, but then you have your overhead, you have, you know, your, your groceries, you have your clothing, you have school expense, you have all these other expenses that come between the two parents right. working. And now you have a $2,000 assistive technology assessment, a $2,000 um, speech and language assessment, a $4,000 psychoeducational assessment, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to be able to keep up with all that and help your child. And at the same time, your child needs help and you don't understand how to help him. But those are the tools that will help you understand your child. And if you can't afford them, then there's lots of missing pieces of the puzzle that will never be figured out. Yeah, I imagine you get a lot of, I don't know, bang for the buck, so to speak, by funding those specific assessments, which do cause so much stress. And and then, of course, the additional stress of just having a child with special needs on top of just the general getting on with life stress adds to it all. Absolutely. And and over and above the child with special needs, let's not forget the typical child that does not have Mm -hmm. special needs, the forgotten one, because the parents are so... I'll tell you, wrapped up with their special needs child, Jonathan, my younger one, um, took every ounce of blood of me to raise because he was extremely hyperactive. And Omar Jr. Hmm. was the total opposite. So I thought Omar Jr. was okay. In the fourth grade, this teacher came to me and said, you need to get him tested. I think he's got something going on with him. Jonathan was tested at five years old. So I, all between five years old Jonathan and until I got to the fourth grade with Omar Jr., I had no idea Omar Jr. was struggling and I took him for granted. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where he actually thought I didn't love him because I gave so much attention to Jonathan because I had to. Right. So the entire family component is affected by all this and school districts don't see this. And then, you know, parents end up divorced. You know, uh, the majority of the families that I see is the mom that takes the burden more than the dad, although the dad's very concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if there's disagreement, there's a lot of friction there and the family falls apart. And if there's no structure and foundation in the home, then there's no room for this child to have, you know, progress and success because that child needs stability in school and stability at home. So if the family component breaks up, then you you, the child is lost. So it sounds like in a lot of ways, the Jonathan Foundation's purpose and mission is through 
for example, funny assessments is to give families stability and a break or some, you know, within that whole process. So that's one less thing they have to stress about. I usually tell their parents, you know, let me carry your burden on my shoulders because I already carried this burden. I've carried it for over Uh, 20 years. So when parents come to me, they're broken. I was broken. I was that parent. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't even have an advocate. We didn't even have Google back then 20 years ago. We didn't have any of us. My research was hard copies in the library. I try to go research everything you need to research for special education in a library when you don't have the technology we have today. So, so how did you go from mother working in working to uh, provide services or to get services for your for your kids to now running a foundation? Tell us a little bit about that transition. Um, the attorneys that I had that took us, they were uh, that, that we ended up going to nine. Circuit Federal Court in California. Um, I could not afford them. They were very expensive. I mean, I'm talking retainer fees, $50,000 a child, $20,000 for hearing, $10,000 for whatever. It adds up. And so I said, maybe I started, you know, they wanted IEP copies. They wanted notes from the IEP. So I would go to the IEPs. I bought uh, transcription equipment. I started transcribing every IEP and giving the attorneys the evidence that they needed in the mm-hmm. evidence package. Um, and I would, I was indirectly becoming a paralegal without realizing that that's what I was doing. Cause I was collecting and researching and giving all this evidence to the attorney so that they can go do what they need to do for my children. And when, when, when it was all said and done, um, I was so appalled with how the system breaks families, if you will. And um, they right. took seven digits lawsuit. Don't you think the school district out here, which is the second largest school district in the nation, that took my middle class family mm-hmm. to court to not give services to my children? Um, and we're talking about a free and appropriate public education. It's all federal law. So if they took me that far, I was just so pissed off at the system and my, without realizing it, I was being trained to do paralegal work. And then I finally said, you know what, I want to create a nonprofit. And it was one day that I ended up taking Jonathan to educational therapy and it's a, they have psychologists there. And I was in the waiting room with my son, Omar Jr. Mm-hmm. And the psychologist calls me into her office and we started talking and 15 minutes into it, I look at her and I go, you're giving me therapy. And she goes, Raja, you need therapy. And I says, I do. And she goes, yeah. And we talked about it. And I started to tell her that I want to do something and I want to create a nonprofit and I'm angry at the system and I'm so broken. And she says, then do it. Just do it. I did it without knowing what I was doing because I own a construction company. Right. Okay. And I, the last thing I wanted to do was create another company. But without realizing it. Right. There's so many details just in construction. It's an overwhelming. Yes. And without realizing that I started a nonprofit and I have no business starting a nonprofit because I don't know anything about nonprofit 20 years ago, that I was so committed. And then families would come to me um, and ask me because back then it was confidential. Parents could not share information about their children, and the school districts did not want oh. the parents to share information because then it would empower the parents. Oh, you got this service? Maybe oh, I can right. get this service. Right. And that's what was going on. And so I got angry with that. So if I saw parents that needed help, I would reach out and go, hey, if you need help with your IP, I'll help you. I, I already did this. 
But that only limited me to the information and the knowledge about what my kids struggled with, not what every other parent struggled with. So I started going to IEPs with families and I did it all pro bono. I never charged a dime Mm -hmm. because of what the financial burden that was uh, placed upon my family. So I I had a hard time charging families money. And so I would go to these IEP meetings with these families and I'd advocate for their children. And I started to get IEEs and I started to get services and I'm thinking, you know, maybe I know something. And then eventually, um, I don't know if you're familiar with COPA. Copa. Sure, yeah. So they, they had um, Seed Advocacy Cohorts 1. It was the first one of its kind. Mm-hmm. It was for advocacy training. I'm talking maybe 2008 or, or 2009 is when it started. And I Was that one of the first cohorts? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I applied for it, and there was four in the country, and I was I was in California in one of the four classes that was going on. Hmm. It was a nine-month um, program, and then when you graduate the program, you have to do a four-month internship in an attorney's office, and I ended up doing that, and it was it, it opened up my eyes to even more of what's needed out there, and, and the spectrum could be so broad from ADHD, Down syndrome, Asperger's, autism, even medical diagnosis Mm. with coexisting conditions. I mean, you really have to do your research to understand what's happening with these children. And I did not know that prior to seed advocacy. And after seed advocacy, I was more empowered. I had connections to attorneys. I had connections to psychologists. My son's psychologist mentored me with the numbers. I needed to know what the data was. You know, if you have standard score of 100, which is um, average, my son, Jonathan, for example, his IQ is over 140, but his reading ability was 67. And if average is 100, right. you have a major discrepancy here. So this kid was... Right. Can you imagine being... That's the clear reason for a free appropriate public education. Yeah. That's, you know, the obvious reason right there. So when you go through all this, I, I, was, I learned... I have a hard knocks uh, course because of my personal journey with the broken special education system. Then I went and I got advocacy trained because... You know, a, a child with Down syndrome has different numbers and you have to do with functioning versus standard scoring. So you have to really understand mm-hmm. how to read the numbers and what they mean. And then um, after that, in doing my four-month internship with the attorney, the attorney asks me, he says, you know, you know so much. Why don't you just go become an attorney? And I said, I just got out of an eight-year lawsuit for my own kids. The last thing I want to <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, three more years in law school. <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> He goes, then go. I'll just fund them. Yeah. He goes, then go become a paralegal. And I said, oh, I can do that. And so I went to UCLA. I got into it. I, I'm a paralegal. And mm-hmm. so, oh, okay. and then I'm, and I'm also an entrepreneur. So between my business knowledge, my paralegal knowledge, my seed advocacy knowledge, my eight years hard knocks with the system, um, why now I was fully charged to run the Donathan Foundation and have this nonprofit and have a better vision of what I wanted to do for the families out there through the Donathan Foundation. Well, tell me a little bit about the Jonathan Foundation and how it's doing. You mentioned you uh, won a large award from L'Oreal recently as well. It sounds like it's starting to take off in regards to funding and the ability to uh, advocate and provide services and funding for uh, parents. Um I'm in a really great place right now. Um, I won L'Oreal Paris Women of Worth Award. They, uh, 10 women were chosen nationwide. I am so blessed to be one of 10 women. They awarded the Johnson Foundation $10,000. Wow. 
Uh, they're flying right. my son and I, Jonathan, to New York on Monday. We're going to spend a week of events and activities out there and, and nonprofit workshops and support. And they're, they're mm-hmm. showcasing the 10 women that got the nonprofit. And through L'Oreal Paris, they have done a national media marketing. I have never marketed the Jonathan Foundation in all the years I've been doing oh, it. Okay. All the families that I've helped mm-hmm. are word of mouth, and I've helped over 293 families pro bono. And I can't take more than 30 cases a year because then it would be an injustice to families if I can't service them correctly. Right. Um, so it's it, I've gotten phone calls and interviews, uh, all because of L'Oreal Paris that did this. And without them, I don't know that the Johnson Foundation can get to that next level without this award. And so right now, I we've gone national. I have families actually that reached out to me from Texas, from Nebraska, from Wisconsin, from Seattle, from Las Vegas. I was flown to Seattle by a family to advocate for a child. I was flown to Texas to advocate for a child. And it's Hmm. very empowering and saddening at the same time, because if these families on a national level can't find advocates in their own state or can't afford it or whatever the issue is, what are we doing for our children and how are we teaching them and why aren't we teaching them the way they learn? Right. And it it just, it seems to, you know, there's just a decision by the school districts because of the amount of cost for these services that it's cheaper to fight it than it is to pay it. It, it, It's kind of crazy because when I, when I finished my lawsuit with the school district out here, I actually had a sidebar with one of um, the the opposing uh, school district personnel. She was really good. She was very amicable with me. So I asked her if we could meet at Starbucks and just have a sidebar. We met at Starbucks and I asked her point blank to her face. I said, why did you take me to Ninth Circuit Federal Court? You destroyed my family. You destroyed my family. I don't have this kind of money. And she looked at me and she goes, you know what, Rajas? Because you would not go away. Most parents go away when they smell the word or hear the word due process. You would Mm -hmm. not go away. So the harder you push, the harder we push back at you. And and I'm thinking seven-digit lawsuit, you know, how many programs they could have probably implemented in the school to different reading styles for the children or assessing them and figuring out what to do with them. They, you know, my my son, Jonathan, had non-public schooling, you know, compliments of the district. You know how expensive non-public schooling is, but he ain't. It's by the time, expensive. Yes. Right. And by the time he got into it, he was in bad shape. He needed it. But had they been proactive prior to and giving the services, he may not have been in that bad shape. So, right. And then the other problem we have, IDA 2004 Act Special Education Law is, is not does not coincide with the budget of the school districts. So school districts don't give a lot of information out there to the parents or they limit the information because if the parents have this information, they're going to go, well, give me speech and language. Give yeah, me OT, exactly. give me AT, right? Give me an NPS or give me an NPI. G- give me all the services. And, and if that happens, then where's the budget money going to come from? So the law dictates this is what the school district has to do, but the school district has to deal with the budget and who pays the price. Of course, the kids are sacrificed. Right. And uh, yeah, the, the funding hasn't come in to match the needs. And so it puts the districts in a, a horrible place because they're there, you know, they're, they're, their role is to advocate for children themselves and to have to turn things down because of budget reasons That's, just seems insane. Correct. It's, um, it, it's been a, a, a long journey, but very um, humbling journey, uh, powering journey. I, I get the biggest high ever when I see success in a child that I was able to help advocate for. 
Uh, that's so nice. there's a purpose for everything in life. That the mm-hmm. the key is mm-hmm. to find what is your purpose. I think you found yours. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, we're coming towards the end of our time here together, and I always like to ask a future-oriented question. And, you know, I don't know if you could have predicted where you'd be at uh, when you first started the Jonathan Foundation, but maybe you could make a prediction where you'll be at 10 years from now with the Jonathan Foundation. My vision is to collaborate with organizations that are my missing link or individuals that are my missing link. I do not want to reinvent the wheel. There are a whole bunch of advocates out there. There's no reason to compete. What we could do is become a powerhouse and work together, become a whole unit and make a bigger impact, not just locally in California, but on a national level. If we all just have a meeting of the minds and see things the same way and see how big this problem is and unite and help each other grow as we help these families to get the services they want and get these children um, in a good place where they can succeed and be happy and be as typical as they can be, even though they're not typical, because they're they you know they want to feel accepted and they want to be part mm-hmm. of everybody you know just like every every typical kid that goes out and plays and does these special yeah, education no children yeah it's no different they want to feel loved and they want to feel accepted and they want to feel to belong to something so why not you know. If the school district is so big nationally, why can't we as organizations that are all trying to do good for the better of the children unite in some form, in some fashion and become a powerhouse and make a, make a difference? Uh, Roger Mahaba, I want to thank you so much for your, both your time today and you know, more importantly for everything you're doing for our community. I appreciate that and I really appreciate your time and um, uh, willingness to do the, the podcast. It's a pleasure for me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.